0: Good morning, church. <clears throat> That's fun. My hands are sticky now. And if anybody would like a snack, I've got them available. Or, Don, if you fall asleep, I just I got things I can chuck at you now. <clears throat> we'll be all right. Um, good morning. Um, I want to start in in a little bit different tone. I usually want to start with an upbeat kind of story to get us feeling good, Um, but I was talking to a neighbor, um, it's been a couple of weeks ago, and she was telling me that this has been a really difficult year for her, that um, she had been married to a guy for 20 years and had found out just a whole slew of things and realized that she had no idea who it was that she was married to. And so she had ended up kicking this guy out because he wouldn't answer for any of the things that she found out about him. And, and she just felt all this betrayal. And she felt like she had been lied to for a really, really long time and for good reason. So it had been a difficult year for her. Lies and betrayal. Um, and I know another story of a different neighbor who shared that this year he had, um, or two years ago he had buried his son And the following year had buried his wife and was just trying to get through life. And it had been a difficult couple of years for him because he had had so much loss. And I know another true story of another neighbor who, um, part of her story is that the very people that had been put into her life to protect her and take care of her, to help her to grow up to be an adult, had abused her and molested her and taken advantage of her as a young child. And it had taken a lot of work for her to be able to um, come to grips with what had happened to her and understand what it meant. And so this morning, there are, we, I just want us to realize that there are like, real-life things that happen in the world, that the world that we live in isn't all rose-colored glasses, and that the solutions to the, the problems don't always feel like they fit. Um, the, we read in, in Mark chapter 2. And one thing that's fascinated me about that story is that Jesus um, Jesus is in their teaching. He's in a house teaching, and there's a group of people that have a friend who's paralyzed. He can't walk. And so the, his friends get it together, and they carry him. And they carry him up on top of a roof, which actually wasn't unusual. They had flat roofs, not slanted roofs. And in order to get him in front of Jesus, they dig through the roof, take it off, and lower him down on his mat in front of Jesus. Because they know that Jesus can heal him. And Jesus, (laughs) I mean, he looks at this guy who's paralyzed, who can't move, who's lying on a mat, who just got lowered out of the ceiling, and he says, oh, hey, your sins are forgiven. And there are times where I feel like sometimes people come to God or they come to Jesus and they come to the church and say, like, I've got this real need. I'm paralyzed. I can't pick get up. And we look at them and we say, well, your sins are forgiven. And they go, that doesn't fix my problem. I'm still paralyzed. And we see Jesus. It's one of the few times that Jesus does it this way, but we see Jesus doing that, looking at somebody who has a real physical need and saying, I'm going to meet your spiritual need first. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it's satisfying. Child abuse doesn't go away. The the hurt that we experience, the lies and betrayal don't go away. We still have to cope with life. And so this is the third week of our series that we've called The Hinge. We're looking at the one thing, the hinge point that all of Christianity hangs upon. And this chapter, this section that we're going to look at this morning is going to feel a little weird to us. But I think it's going to point to some deep truths about what God wants to accomplish in the world. and I think it's going to address the issues that we face, the real life issues that we face, not just the spiritual ones. So would you pray with me together and then we'll open God's word. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for um, the opportunity to open your word and to hear from you. And Lord, we know that Your thoughts are not our thoughts, and sometimes the things that make sense to you don't make sense to us. And so we pray that you would walk with us through this, that you would help us to understand, and that, Father, you would help us to see more of your character and who you are because of the way that you've communicated. Lord, would anything that's my opinion just be washed away and quickly forgotten, but, God, would your word stand true, and will we wrestle with it this morning. Lord, thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you want to follow along, uh, you turn in the story Bible to page 796, and there's a couple in the, in the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, you can take that home as a gift. Um, but we're going to be on page 796, and we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 35. So let's read together 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 35. And just track with me. We'll read through it and uh, come back and explain some things. Verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life until it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, But a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another." There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. Let's pause there. We've been in this series pointing to the hinge point, the central point that all of Christianity hangs on, and that is this. Did Jesus come back to life? If he was a moral teacher who taught good things and claimed to be the Son of God and died, and that was the end of the story, then he was a crazy man who told lies, and we ought not to listen to his moral teaching. But if he was a a teacher who came and taught things and said that, I am the Son of God, and he was killed, and he came back to life three days later as he had said— then we have to wrestle with what that means for our lives. The hinge point, the only way to disprove the Christian faith is whether or not Jesus came back from the dead. And we've been talking about that for the last couple of years. That The question we wrestle with is a historical one. And we've been over uh, that we can trust the New Testament documents and, as historical documents. And we see here in these verses this letter to the Corinthians. You remember 1 Corinthians is a letter written by a pastor who had come and he had started this church in Corinth. And Corinth was a city that was a lot like Las Vegas is today. Um, Everybody just living for themselves and what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And this guy goes and starts a church, preaches Jesus to these people, they turn and trust him and he's having started this church, then goes on to start churches in other cities. But as he's going, he hears rumors about things that are going on in Corinth that don't line up with the things that he had taught. And then he gets a letter from the people in Corinth, and the people in Corinth are saying, you know, we kind of get what you were saying, but we think we have more knowledge than you. We feel like we're more enlightened than you are, and so we think you're wrong on these points. And so this letter, 1 Corinthians, is a letter that the pastor writes back to the city of Corinth. One, to address the rumors of the things that he's heard that's going on. And two, to answer, his que- answer the questions and the things that they brought up in their letter. So here in these verses, we have a question that they're raising. Because they're questioning whether or not anybody ever can come back from the dead. Whether there's any kind of resurrection, which is the hinge, Right? He says, someone will ask, which makes me think that somebody did ask, but but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And it seems like the people in Corinth were saying, look, if we are made alive spiritually, if if Jesus' resurrection means that he gives us spiritual life, then all we need to focus on is spiritual life. I need to make good moral decisions. I need to pray more and get myself right with God. And the things that are of the earth, the things that are bodily, are moot. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. It doesn't matter um, whether I take care of the things that are entrusted to me. Like, as long as I have a good spiritual life, the rest of the world can just burn up. It doesn't matter. That seems kind of where they had gotten to, even to the point where they were saying, yeah, I'm so spiritual that it doesn't matter that I got married. I can just ignore my spouse because it's just me and God. We've got a great relationship. And so he's addressing this this issue, and he's saying, look, someone's going to ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? The question is, can spiritual things, good spiritual things be united with a physical body? If, if, if Christ gives spiritual life and my flesh is, is wicked and corrupt, like, can I, is there a body that can exist? Can, can, if I come back to life, what kind of body will I have? Won't it be limited? Won't it be less than because it's a physical body as opposed to a spiritual body? Aren't those two things diametrically opposed? So, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body are they going to have? He says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow, what you plant in the ground, the seeds that you plant, when you put them in the ground, you can't see them. You can't see what's going on. And in some ways, they've died. But in their death, and their burial, they come back to life as something else, if it's good seed, right? And what you sow is not the body that is to be, The thing that you put into ground is not the thing that you're going to get, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. So he's telling illustrations. He's saying, you guys know how plants work? And I want you to say that this part of nature actually points to a spiritual thing that's going to go on. I'm going to take what you understand to explain what you don't understand. The problem for us is that oftentimes we don't, like, we're not connected with how seeds work. We're not in an agricultural society. So he's explaining something that they're aware of, and we're going, I don't even know how how plants work. It doesn't make any sense to me. So he's using natural illustrations uh, from nature. And I don't know if you can see it. I'm going to point on your side. There's a little seed right there, and there's a little seed right here. And the things that we plant, the things that we put into the ground don't look like the things that come up, like at all. This is, you know, bare, it's white, it's hard, it's small, it looks nothing like a tree, And yet, when it germinates, it grows into something different. When it grows up, it grows into a tree that you can climb, and my children do climb, and break the branches off, and pick the fruit too early, and do all the things that children love to do. The things that we plant are not like the things that we harvest. It's a natural illustration. He says, God gives it a body in verse 38. God gives it a body as he has chosen, and each kind of seed its own body. There are different things that are adapted to their environment. Not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another kind. There's one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star... In glory. We know inherently that different bodies are adapted to their environment and their purpose. The things that are put into a different environment change to some degree or another, right? They adapt. And he's saying the same thing is true here. So when we're talking about a resurrection body, we're talking about something that's going to live in a different kind of an environment. And so even though it starts here, even though it starts inside of a fruit. Even though it starts inside of a fruit and has a different environment, when it goes into a new environment, when it's planted in the ground, it will change and adapt to its new environment, right? So he's saying, you're asking, you're asking how, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have? The limitations that we have in earth don't define the limitations that we have after earth. We go into a different environment. Does that make sense? This is one of those concepts that kind of gets up here and theologians like to argue about exactly what it means and it really they just waste a lot of ink and argue about things that don't matter. The point is really simple, right? Seeds are different from the things that they grow and so what we experience on earth doesn't mean that it's going to be the exact same experience after we die. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Okay. There are times where we'll look at our lives and we'll look at the things that are going on and we say, is there, there are times where we'll be so focused on our circumstances and what's going on, the challenges that we face. We go, does it even matter if I have a hope for the future? Like, what does it matter that Jesus has forgiven my sins if I'm still laying on the bed paralyzed? Paralyzed. Like, what What did that do to change my quality of life? It doesn't matter. I still have to deal with what's here. And so the question to ask first, I think, is what current circumstances rob our hope? If it doesn't matter what our hope is because of our current circumstances, we got to look at our circumstances and say, what do those look like in light of eternity? Because what we start with doesn't determine what we end with. Given a different environment. So what are the circumstances that happen in our lives now that rob us, that distract us from the hope that we have in the future? Because here's the big idea for the morning. Jesus will completely restore his creation, completely restore his creation. He was part of creation at the beginning. He created the world as it is, as we see it. In a fallen state, but all created, and he plans to restore all of it. What he started with was the spiritual, but he plans to restore all of it. So, what are our current circumstances that rob our hope? Let's continue reading. In verse 42, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. So, We'll pause there. That's a lot to wrestle with, and that's all we're going to try to chew this week. He's talked about some natural inferences, some things that we can understand from nature, and now he's giving the supernatural application of what we understand. He says, What is sown is perishable. What is sown in dishonor. What is sown in weakness. What is sown is a natural body. Everything that is sown. And here's something, just a small nuance that I, that I had not considered until my time this week. It's not just what falls to the ground. It's not just what happens naturally. When we're talking about something that's sown, we're talking about something that's entrusted purposefully. I have mowed the grass out here a couple of times. And never have I gone out and to mow this grass and been, like, shocked that instead of grass, we had a field of wheat or we had a field of fruit trees because we've never sown wheat and we've never planted fruit trees out there. We don't get something that we haven't sown purposefully. So when he talks about the resurrection of the dead... He's talking about those who have purposefully entrusted themselves to Christ. Because we remember what the good news is. We remember what Christianity is. We talked about it the first week. It's not how you vote. It's not being born American, growing up American, buying American. Christianity is trusting in the truth that God is saving us through Jesus. The true faith is one that says, I can't do anything for myself. I can't dress the right way. I can't do anything that makes myself better towards God. I just have to trust that God will save me. And I trust that he has done that by sending his son, Jesus. The truth is this, that God is saving us through Jesus. And the hope that we have is that if Jesus is raised, the hinge, if he has been resurrected, if that is a true fact, then the whole world has been changed. The course of history has been altered forever if this man who claims to be God came back to life. And so what is sown is purposefully entrusted to God. We didn't choose to live. We didn't choose our parents. We didn't choose our siblings. We didn't choose when we would be born, at what time, what year. We didn't choose how much money our family would have when we were born. We didn't choose where we would be born on the earth. It just happened to us. We did not choose. But when we come to God, we have an opportunity to entrust ourselves to him to be sown and to be produce fruit the way that he designed it to work. So we look at the world and see all of the tragedy, all of the wickedness, all of the sin, all of the fallenness, and we can amen. It is sown in dishonor. It is sown as perishable. It is sown in weakness. It is natural. Like, yeah, I feel that. I feel that every week. I feel that when I got to roll out of bed in the morning because my bones are aching. But what is raised is imperishable is raised in glory, is raised in power, is raised a spiritual body. What is sown is not like what is grown. The limitations that we experience here don't carry through in the same way on the other side of death. So he gives a little bit of an illustration here talking about the first Adam and the last Adam. And if you know me and have talked to me at all, you know I'm not good at math. I don't do good with math problems. But I'm going to try to do some math here. So if you just say a quick prayer for me, and now we'll move forward. Um, the math looks a little bit like this, I think. The first man, Adam, God created, he formed a body out of dust. Remember this story? And then he breathed into this body, this man of dust, and the man became a living being. So body plus breath equals living being. The living being then has a will. He can choose what he wants to do, and what he chooses to do is mutiny against the God that created him, to reject the things that he said were going to work for him. He says, no, 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 no. God, you're great and all, but I think I can do a better job than you. So the living being plus sin equals spiritually dead. Remember? Remember? And we talked about last week how Jesus becomes the answer to spiritual death and offers us spiritual life, right? So the first man is Adam. The second man is Jesus. He was a living being. He was born flesh and blood. He walked around. But minus sin, he didn't have it. And if the living being minus sin is the only one who can be a sacrifice for everybody else who has the sin, is the only one who can pay the price in full, so if the sacrifice is killed, it's done. It's paid for, but it's not applied to everyone. The resurrection is, I accept that this sacrifice has been paid in full. We, we read it last week. If, if Christ is not raised, we're still stuck in our sin. Jesus might have been able to die for his sin, but the way that we know that, he apply, that his life applies to the rest of us is that he came back to life. So the sacrifice plus resurrection equals true life. Does that make sense? I hope it does, because this is math. This is outside of my comfort zone. So here's the crux of what this text kind of touches at for us, I think we can look at that kind of math and say, okay, all I need to do is focus in on the spiritual thing. When people come to me and they're hurting, when they tell me the stories about what's been going wrong in their lives, when they talk about their husband who has lied and cheated and they kicked him out, when they talk about the abuse that they've suffered, when they talk about the loss that they've ensued, we can say, well, the hope that we have is that Jesus has forgiven our sin. And that's true. And I do think that that's the foundation place that we start. That is what... The good news is that Jesus has forgiven our sin, that God is saving us through Jesus. That's where Jesus starts in Mark 2, right? Paralytic comes down, your sins are forgiven. And everybody, like, well, who can forgive sins except for God alone? He, like, yeah, okay, I get it, I understand. Just to demonstrate to you that I have the authority to forgive sin, I don't disagree that only God can forgive sin, but I want to show you that I have that authority. Like, I can tell him to get up and walk, too, I can heal him too. Not because he needs it, not because I need it, like I I can do that. I have the authority to forgive sin and I have the authority to make him walk and he does both together because Jesus will completely restore his creation. There's times where I feel like I have become so focused on spiritual things that I've neglected the work that God wants us to do in the world today. And he's entrusted us, one, with the earth. He's entrusted us with our neighborhood. He's entrusted us with our family. And says, I have good work that I'd like for you to do. And the spiritual life that I've given you, the blessing that I've given you, the thing that I've sown in you is going to grow in other people as well. And the way that you take care of the things that I've entrusted to you matters. Sometimes it feels like I've heard I've heard people say that uh, <laughs> we shouldn't really do any kind of work in the world. We shouldn't be concerned about the environment that we live in because it's just polishing brass on the Titanic. The whole thing's going to burn up anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But here's the thing: if I bought my son a car and I said, "Look, like this is your first car. I suspect you're going to scratch it up. You're going to ding it up," and I know that I already understand. Um, And I planned to, at some point, restore this car. (laughs) Like, I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you do what you need to do with it. But like, at some point, I'm going to restore this. And Camden goes out and just smashes it. He has his friends over, and they get sledgehammers, and they beat it up, and they just abuse this car. He brings it back to me. He's like, look, Dad, the thing. It's like, I said I was going to restore this. Now I've got to completely rebuild it. Like, I trusted and trusted this gift to you, and what have you done with it? We do kind of the same thing. So the question becomes, does our hope for the future excuse our responsibility now? If God's given us good gifts now, and we have a hope for the future, can we just look to the future and say, the rest of the things that I've been entrusted with don't matter right now? I'm afraid sometimes that I'm inclined to do that. But Jesus will completely restore all of his creation. We are whole persons, body and soul, and he wants to restore all of it. So what we do with our bodies, what we do with the things that are entrusted to us, matters. Because what we do indicates what we value to the person who gave it to us. And Jesus will completely restore his creation. Again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and his word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, Ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.